Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today we are interviewing Tom Torbins. Tom Torbins is an open theist from Belgium, and he runs the website Cross Theology. So, Tom, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Tom Torbins, and I run Cross Theology, as you've already said. So this is, um, I think, I'm now like one year and two months or something. I'm an open theist. Before I was a classical, you could say, Armenian uh, concerning uh, God's, God's knowledge of the future. That's a short introduction, I think. So That's a short introduction. So um, what brought you to the open theist viewpoint? So last year I was, um, I think on Facebook, there was a, someone told me about open theism. I don't know which individual that was. And then um, I downloaded a book by Michael Sayah. And I read the introduction. It's, it's called "Does God Know, know the Future?" Yeah, and, very good book. And yeah, it's a very good book. I only read the introduction, and then I watched an um, introductory video by Jesse Morrell. It's about an hour long. It's called "Why I Am an Open Theist," I think, and it was very good. Then I did some Bible study on it, and and then I read uh, the whole of uh, "Does God Know the Future?" and I was com- convinced. Of the truth, I was like, um, well, this framework makes more sense with the Bible compared to other frameworks. And also, back in high school, I was quite, uh, I was, I was very convinced of Christianity. Actually, I was a Christian for uh, some years, and but there was one question that that kept on bothering me, on which I wanted an answer, and that that was, if God knows the future. Why does he create uh, those babies or those souls, you could say, um, of which he knows that they will go to hell? And yeah, was, definitely. That well, is a, it's a kind of a shocking concept in itself that God creates people knowing that they're just going to go to hell. Yeah. And so I thought always like, okay, that's, you know, there's a free will. That's the way Armenians are taught to answer that, you could say. And, and so that's like in most theological schools, like systems. You get that answer, and but it didn't really satisfy. And I think uh, open theism. I mean, it, I just never thought of the uh, how do you put this the the concept that maybe God doesn't know the future, and so I never considered that. But then once I realized that, I was like, "Whoa, this really answers the question, and it it fits so well in the Bible." You know, it's like right. So. Open theism, I guess, is not native in Belgium. You don't know any other open theists there? No, not that I know of. I know from the Netherlands, there's a brother, Andrew. I think he's an open theist. He was a famous guy. I don't know if you know him. But it's not a, it's not a big movement. No, 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 not, not at all. All right. And uh, so Calvinism, is that more natural? Uh, that's more in Holland. In Belgium, it's more Roman Catholicism. It's uh, huge, you could say. And Protestantism is just small. And that's more like your fundamentalist type Protestant. You could say like evangelical. Right. So tell us about your website. Oh, um, so my website is Cross Theology. Uh, you can go to crosstheology.com or crosstheology.wordpress.com. And it has um, many articles now. It's been up for one year now. And um, yeah, just a variety of theological subjects. So it's just more on yeah, just theology in in a broad sense. Many different viewpoints, like like uh, you have like um, Seventh Day Adventists, Pentecostals, uh, 
evangelicals, Roman Catholics, Orthodox. You have, you have many different viewpoints. And it's more like, a, you could say, like a collection kind of. Okay. Yeah, it seems that way. It looks like you th have things uh, sorted in different categories and people could pick up their different topics and then see excerpts from what other people around the world say about those topics. Yeah, you could put it that way. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> Sounds good. So has your website reached anyone? Have you converted anyone to open theism? Uh, yeah. I, people have, um, have, have, they have read it and they've, they've told me like, well, this is also a system that uh, works with the Bible and especially with the uh, doctrine of original sin. I, I personally don't believe in it. And um, how can I put this? The, the ideas I, I put down there, it, uh, many people have told me like, well, uh, when I consider this, I think you're right, like open-minded people. Um, right. For those listening who don't understand what that is about, there's this doctrine in Christianity of original sin, that people inherit sin through the lineage of Adam, and that's said to be either inherent in our flesh or, or descending from Adam's rebellion in the garden. And some open theists, uh, Tom Torbins, Jesse Morrell, uh, even myself, I kind of reject this because it, it's, it sounds like this platonic idea where the flesh is evil. And I think that's how it really took off in early Christianity. The flesh was evil, so we have this original sin, and our, and our nature is tainted, and our flesh is tainted. Whereas a more biblical perspective is each man is guilty for their own sins. Yeah. You, you see this doctrine um, already... Um, this is just from head knowledge, but I, I can remember that uh, it seems like origin in, in one, uh, he, he kind of said like, in a sense, he said, you could say, would say yes. Or, and on the other hand, he would say no. He said something like the, the, um, the, that the children are born with the stain from Adam or something. But um, on the other hand, he also said that, um, that there are uh, learned Greeks, like who say that, uh, that the soul of children are, that they are actually from the devil, you could say. But he said he rejected this, and he said like the their angels, their guardian angels, you could say, they they always look to to God the Father, and uh, like it was a way of saying like okay, they are not going to hell. So I think he might have been more into the ancestral sin from the Eastern Church. But um, you already see that Gnosticism kind of. Right, and usually when people are trying to defend this concept from the Bible, they'll they'll turn to the writings of Paul, and it would be a, pretty much an exclusive Pauline doctrine if it was a doctrine. But the way in which Paul writes is he mixes metaphors and he uses allusions, and he turns pagan concepts on their heads to illustrate Christian truths. So, you know, you probably need something a little bit more than a vague reference in Paul in order to make to, to make a solid doctrine like that. And it should be consistent in whoever you're trying to find it. And it should be fairly explicit, which it's not. And you don't find it in the rest of the Bible. You find Cain and God's talking to Cain. And he says, you know, sin is crouching at your door and you need to control it. You need to be master of it. And Cain is after the fall in the garden of Eden. And God still is under this assumption that, you know, we are responsible for our own choices. See that God really um, expects Cain to obey. I mean, God is not joking. Like, well, I already know the future, so Cain, please don't do that. But I know you will do that. So 
I'm very sorry. You're going to go burn in hell forever. Sorry, man. Baby. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. And, and, and also when I um, try to disprove this uh, doctrine, I, nowadays I often start in Romans five, which is, uh, the proof text you could say uh, Romans 5 verses uh, what is it like from 12 uh, till the end of the chapter I think it's like the proof text and um, yeah I, but it, it doesn't really work because it I mean if you're a Calvinist it, you could make it uh, work you could say or a universalist and then you would say like the sin of Adam is imputed to us without our free choice in the mm-hmm. same way, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. But then, um, like when you see the words all and many uh, in that uh, comparison, then you would have to conclude that God in the end will save all, which is not biblical, or that uh, there must be a choice to, right. to be like Adam and to receive the righteousness of Christ, you could say. And so that's Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because it's all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not countered where there is no law. So Paul here, he's not really teaching some sort of inherited sin nature. His point is to Israel, and he's trying to put Israel on the same level as the Gentiles. And so it, it's it's almost a stretch, I'd say, to you know pull that out and try to make some sort of doctrine of original sin. And yeah. there, there should be something a little bit more substantial if uh, that's going to be a biblical doctrine that, you know, that we need to be, that we're holding on to and teaching. I mean, if you read, for example, Ezekiel 18, there it's, it is very clear that, uh, that the son shall not inherit the iniquity of the father and, and also not the other way around. And, but then people say, well, that's true. I don't inherit the sin of my father, but I do inherit it of Adam. But it's like, then there would be a contradiction because then if, if Cain would use that verse, then he would not inherit the sin of Adam. You know what I mean? It's like, right. So the, there are open theists, and I, I think of Bob Enyer in particular because he just had a podcast or a radio show just two weeks ago, and it was on the flesh of Jesus, Jesus coming in the flesh. And he proposes this system where sin is passed through the line of the father. And since Jesus doesn't have a human father, then the sin line of Adam doesn't flow to Jesus. That That's what he proposes. And I, I think it's mostly speculation. I mean, if it's a system and it works for him, that's that's fine. But I don't think that's something we should be trying to press as the de facto biblical doctrine. And I don't even know if it works on a logical level how sin just passes through the male line, you know? Yeah, I would say that um, that's like, the, I would say the classical, or at least where I live, is, is the classical idea of the, and I've also been to Africa, and there they say the same, the classical idea of Protestantism, of uh, people inheriting sin. It's like, oh, well, Jesus didn't have a father. We, we all do have a human father, so therefore we inherit sin, and Jesus does not inherit sin. But the thing is, the Bible nowhere says you shall inherit the sin from your father. On the contrary, like Ezekiel 18, as I already mentioned, right. says the opposite. So, it's like, Yeah, so tell us about your time in Africa. You went ministering to some very poor people, right? And you talked to them yeah. about the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was in Cameroon, and yeah, I've been sharing the, the gospel there. Um, uh, Did you have translators that you worked through? Um, 
when I just walked on the streets, I just spoke in French. I know a little bit of French. Um, but when I when we were in the crusade, you could say, like the evangelism crusade, there I used a translator because I'm more comfortable in English than in French. Yeah. So were they very receptive to what you're trying to say? Uh, well, it's kind of like I preached a little bit against the doctrine of original sin. I mean, in the sense of just telling the people, like, look, uh, you are responsible for your own sin, and God is going to judge you if you don't repent. But then I had the mic, so they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't stop me. Kind of. <laughs> so. Right. So did you talk to them about the nature and character of God at all and open theism? Open theism was not really the – that was not really – I didn't really use that there. I, I spoke okay. More privately, I spoke about that. So they all were – under the impression that there was original sin. Is that the case? Yeah, there was uh, I like some one guy, he, he showed me, it was like a teacher in the church and he, he showed me his papers and, and he asked me, do you please want to look into this? I said, okay, I read it and it was, it was quite good. I was like quite, um, like you always hear of Africa, well, they don't, you know, but right. it was quite good, you know? And so I was quite pleased, but then I turned some pages and then I was like, on original sin and and that was really like oh no it, it really sounds gnostic you know and they, they believe there they say that sin is in your dna or some say in your blood right do you see a lot of fatalism in their teachings well that that was more like a holiness church so it didn't really the, that, that conclusion wasn't drawn like it was it was um yeah they believe in holiness but it's kind of illogical to use both sides you know like you have to sin and you have to be holy kind of Right. And so you would say they believed in uh, kind of a free will combined with original sin. Yes. Yes. Uh, so you currently attend a seminary. Is that the case? Yes. Uh, Continental Theological Seminary in um, in uh, St. Peter's Leo, close to Brussels in Belgium. All right. And you're saying that uh, a lot of your uh, professors are the Calvinist types? Yes. Some are. Some are. Others are. Armenian, classical Armenian. So my, and how, how have they treated you in your interactions with them? You could say there's there's a general uh, tendency of respect uh, between us, between all of us. But, um, yeah, some don't really like uh, open theism. Um, well, do they tolerate it? Do they accept it? Do they give you bad grades because of it? Is, do you feel any backlash? Uh, no, I don't think they will give me or they gave me bad grades. I think they try to be honest people. But um, what I will say, one one teacher, and I won't name any names, uh, one teacher, he um, uh, last year he said twice in class that uh, open theism is heresy. And in the beginning of this year, uh, like this school year, uh, he said, um, well, open theism isn't a heresy, but we shouldn't consider it orthodoxy. So it's outside of orthodoxy. And, and he also told me that he's a little bit worried about my salvation, uh, <laughs> I believe in open theism, and he saw it as a primary uh, issue. I told him that I saw it as more as secondary. To me, classical Armenian can also be saved. Uh, I mean, if you have more like the class, like the view that God does know the future, it doesn't, uh, in a sense, it, I mean, it doesn't uh, directly change your salvation or something. So Yeah, so this guy was a Calvinist, right? Yes. The Calvinist position seems to be that, uh, you know, open theists aren't saved, but they kind of throw a bone or they're a little bit inconsistent towards Arminians. And if you 
you really press the Calvinists who say open theists aren't saved, they'll kind of say that Arminians aren't saved as well because they're kind of lumped together. But because Arminianism has such a following, they're not going to try to overtly disclude them from, you know, being considered a Christian. Yeah, I think that is just the, I think the amount of people that are a member of it, if there are more people in one camp, that doesn't make it truth, but it seems like they tolerated them. Yeah, so my contention is if these Calvinists ever came to power and stamped out Arminianism, they would declare Arminianism a heresy yeah. just on equal level yeah. as open theism. Yeah, I guess so. Like my school is part of the Assemblies of God. Already, some people have uh, expressed. Um, how do you say that? They have expressed um, doubt. Is not really the word. It's like they were quite um, afraid. You could say that um, that Calvinism uh, would infiltrate the Assemblies of God, and there's it seems to be a revival of Calvinism going on. And revival of Calvinism. That sounds scary. I used to attend uh, Assemblies of God Church in uh, college. And uh, that was actually pretty good. Preacher was a uh, ex-Roman Catholic, and so he had a lot of good insights. And and it's assemblies of God, and assemblies of God seems to be more of a charismatic speaking in tongues type. But the church I attended, he was, uh, you know, he came from this Roman Catholic background, and he wasn't charismatic at all. And he was he wasn't charismatic in the speaking in tongues sense, and he would just give straight straight sermons, and and uh, you know, kind of an interesting dynamic that he was part of the assemblies of God. But I really liked my time with them. Well, I would say. Uh, um, also with a friend of mine, Michael is his name, is it from Czech, uh, the Czech Republic. He's, uh, you would, we would say on the intellectual side and, and me too, in the sense of like Assemblies of God is a classical Pentecostal denomination. And through his, throughout history, like, the, I mean, history, like last century, they don't exist that long. They, they have been known sometimes for being anti-intellectualists. And that's sad, actually. We, we try to, um, to change that, to be like speaking in tongues and all that. We keep that. But we also like to do the intellectual studies and, you know. Yeah, I think there's a definitely a good mix. Currently, I attend the Vineyard Churches, and the Vineyard Churches, they're also a speaking in tongue, charismatic type, but it's uh, more of on a download thing. When you kind of read Paul about this, Paul says, don't really do this in church because people are going to walk in and they're going to think you're crazy. And so the vineyard position is, you know, we'll do this stuff and speaking in tongues and, you know, but uh, they do it kind of in their own groups and not in public places. There are certain rules with Paul, you could say, or, or advices. Some, some don't take it as rules, but take it more as advice, which is an, also a possible interpretation. But I would also say that the gift should not, I think, should not be quenched because um, it can also happen. Paul gives that example that um, an unconverted guy, a guy who's not a Christian, I mean, comes into the church and someone and some people start to prophesy about him. So they speak the truth of God, what, what God knows of that guy, which the others couldn't know, some secret sin in his life or something. And the guy get, gets converted. It, it, it does happen. Right. I'll quick interject with one of my uh, humorous anecdotes from uh, Portland. I was okay. living in Portland for about six months, and uh, I kept checking out all these churches, trying to find the right church in the Portland, Vancouver type area. And, you know, one church I went to, it was a pretty good church. And uh, I talked to the pastor after the first sermon, and he's he's talking to me, and he's like, and I'm talking to him about my current studies, and I'm currently studying, like, speaking in tongues. And I told him about my conviction that you know, speaking in tongues were, were known foreign languages. Like when you see Pentecost, the disciples, they're, they're speaking in tongues, but everyone understands them in their own language. And so I was saying, you know, it could be no, known foreign tongues and the interpreters would be interpreting languages that they know. 
And the pastor got real quiet and he was like, speaking tongues here. I'm like, oh. And so I asked him, you know, did you do what Paul said to do? Paul said to uh, use a translator, always use a translator. And uh, so you have one person speaking in tongues and then you have one person telling everyone what it means as so it's not gibber. And he's like, he's, he's a little sheepish. And he's like, ah, yeah, we do that. And the very next Sunday I'm there and this guy stands up during prayer time and he just goes on. He, he, he's speaking in tongues. It's, uh, it's almost like a Russian type of language that you kind of hear his accent going on. And uh, he, he carries on for, it seemed like five minutes. It was, it was a long time. And so then he sits down and the pastor, he kind of recollects that uh, I, I had uh, confronted him earlier, to just the previous week about the same topic. And I said that, you know, do you guys interpret it? And so he asked the guy, he said, Brother Mike, I'm making up the name Mike. I don't know what the guy's name was, but he said, Brother Mike, could you tell everyone uh, kind of what you just said there? And uh, the guy, he was like confused. And he'd never been asked this before in his life because a lot of times these charismatic churches, they, they, they'll never have an interpreter ever. It's kind of the exact opposite of what Paul said. And so he stands up and he's confused and he just kind of looks around. He's like, uh, God be with us. And then he sits down. So five minutes of speaking of tugs, God be with us. Uh, I would say that that there is um, – okay, <laughs> sorry to um, kind of ruin your joke or something. but um, oh, it's, it's all good. Yeah. But there, there, um, there have been cases in Pentecostal churches where people spoke. I mean, it doesn't have to be like you speak like five words in in tongues, and then it's like five words translation. It's more like the translation. It's not a translation because I use the wrong term here, but it's an interpretation. So right, but sometimes people just talk crazy talk, and then uh, when you watch their actions, if they're they're confronted to have to explain what they were talking about. And it's, it's just mass confusion and no one knows what he's talking about. Then you kind of suspect maybe that wasn't necessarily legit speaking in tongues, not saying that there's not legitimate speaking in tongues that some, somewhere some people are speaking in angelic languages or whatnot, but you kind of get a sense that not all of it's hundred percent kosher. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true. Um, I mean, I believe there's a lot of there are a lot of scammers, and and for example, you you say like, and it's true, and like in charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches, people are encouraged to speak in tongues, but not so often to interpret. And I think maybe the problem lays there because if nobody tells you you can interpret, then you won't do it. I mean, I notice in Belgium there's like pastors are often encouraged, which is good. But but prophets or, or evangelists, those ministries, they aren't very much encouraged, you know, and I think right. do something with that, I don't know. So so I think in everything, like even like healing, when people say, oh, the, the Benny Hins of the world saying, oh, I could heal everyone. I got the spirits of healing. You know, there's there's scammers and then there's there's people who think they can, but they can't. And then there's the legit people. And so we, you, we, we always have to kind of filter out who's the scam artists, who's the who are just clueless, and who are the people who are legit, you know? Yeah, it's true. I'm, I, I've heard, um, for example, I'm just going to give an example of Benny Hinn. Well, maybe it's hard to judge, but I've seen videos, maybe they were cut out of context. I don't know. People, people can look into this themselves. But I've seen videos where he says like, well, if you pay one thousand dollars, then I'm, I might be mistaken. Maybe it was another person, but it was something like, if you give one thousand dollars, you will be healed, 
well, you can clearly see that's just, I mean, that's just scam. That's just for their own profit. And but I've, I've myself, I've been on the streets and I've been praying for people, and and they got healed. They never paid me one cent, and I never asked them to to get paid or something. You know, it was just to, to get their souls uh, right with God. You could say. Yeah. So. No, that's that's that sort of stuff is legit. But whenever someone asks for the money, the Benny Hins, the Mike Murdochs of the world, definite scam artists. These people who are obsessed with material wealth and they live in these fancy houses and. And they're incredibly fat, the John Hagees of the world. It's like, oh, man, I can't take them seriously. But uh, when people have personal testimonies about praying for people that they don't even know and getting those people healed, those that's when you kind of realize that, you know, there there's probably some divine action behind that. I mean, I believe in, for example, I believe in those spiritual gifts. I had the word of knowledge once. I, I said to a, to a lady something about her youth or something. I never met that lady, but I just said it, and she started to cry, to cry. I was like, oh, God, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> <kind of> shocked. <laughs> yeah, but there's are ways of, uh, in which God can testify about himself, I think, through us. So. Yeah, so would you say that uh, most of the churches in your area are a little bit charismatic or are they more traditional, reformed? The whole of Belgium, you have... The biggest church is the Roman Catholic Church. That's traditionally that's been so. And um, but then if you look in Protestantism, oh, we shouldn't forget the Orthodox Church, of course. But if you look in Protestantism, I think there are two big groups. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think there are two big groups. Um, the Evangelicals, the, those are more the like the conservative. Most of them are conservative, like oh, uh, no spiritual gifts, uh, no speaking in tongues, and then you have the or, or for example, oh, I have to be a minister. I mean, an evangelist to share the gospel, and I mean, they can go quite extreme in the uh, cessationist thing or the non, you know, with the kind of without miracles and you know, right. just a pastor or something like traditional more. And then on the other hand, you have more the Pentecostals, and they are more like well. There are still spiritual gifts. Um, we can still go and pray for the sick or you know, stuff like that. Uh, so what's your exposure to uh, philosophical side of uh, open theism to the Haskers, to the Boyds, to the, you know, Ords of the world? I think, well, I like I like uh, philosophical aspects, and but I think I'm more of a biblical guy if I, uh, from what I remember of your podcast, more like Jesse Morrell type of guy, like closer to that. Uh, side of open theism. You're right. Um, yeah. So the main open theism Facebook page, uh, just called Open Theists, I was on there, and I had just assumed that everyone was biblical open theists. And so when I first joined, I know, that was what three years ago, something like that, or three or four. And uh, pretty quickly, I found out that that wasn't the case. Like I started talking about uh, Moses's conversations with God and and how you prioritize in the text God speaking versus the narrator versus the the things that are said by the characters in the book. And I got a lot of pushback. And they said, oh, you you really think God said that? You think God said that? And then, then I got the, you think God speaks English? Like, what the heck are you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> he spoke in Old King James. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, he... Yeah, you spoke in English. I'm like, no, I don't think think you guys have a fundamental misunderstanding about how language works. And so you you don't have to repeat verbatim in the the original language in order to say someone said something. If you say something to me and, you know, Dutch and I translate to English, I could say Tom said this. And even though I'm speaking English, you know, that's still that. And and so their concern just was a fundamental misunderstanding of language. But their overarching concern that the conversation never happened, that was kind of 
shocking to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I never noticed that. Yeah, it's like, all right, I think the conversation's done because I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's Facebook. That's just Facebook land, you know, such conversations. And then, like, uh, they don't know what to say, and then they're like, oh, you're just a heretic. And then, like, five other people, yeah, you're just a heretic. And it's like, okay. And then they're like, oh, yeah. we won. We won. Huh. <laughs> you know, it's very funny to me. So yeah, that, that what struck me though is the open theist side. I'm like, why is there this weird hostility in open theism towards other open theists, especially open theists who take seriously the text of the Bible? And I just didn't get it. It's just so that's one thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bridge the gap and uh, create some unity. And so we're just not attacking each other. To, uh, just lashing out for just random nonsense reasons. I just don't get it. Like. I mean, I had one guy once writing something like, if you guys are such great missionaries, why are you guys always on Facebook fighting each other instead of, I mean, you don't have time to share the gospel. And I was like, whoa, that guy really has a good point. Like, what are you guys wasting yeah. your time about? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, de I definitely think it's good to listen to our critics. It's someone who doesn't agree with you, they're coming from a different perspective. They're bringing a different point of view. And sometimes they can point out to us stuff that are so obvious that we miss it ourselves because we are so bogged down in our own little worlds, our own point of views. And so that's why it's important to read Calvinists and to read atheists and read biblical scholars, even biblical scholars who reject the Bible, because what they bring to the debate, what they bring is this, a fresh perspective, a perspective that's not necessarily um, embroiled in all these these uh, petty disputes. And they're usually seeking to try to discredit or disprove or even trying to objectively look at the material. Yeah, th that's, that's true. That's true. I mean, I had it with, it was not that I was like a stubborn guy and this or something, but I, with, with, for example, whether God does, does or does not know the future. In the past, I just thought he, he knows because he's God. You know, that's, that's what you're always, that's what they all, they've always taught you how to read the Bible. But then later on, someone else comes and, it, and he says, well, maybe it's not the case like that. And then, I mean, and then you reconsider this. And I think it was Charles Finney who, who said that a Christian should always reconsider what he believes and put to the test and, 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 he should not be scared to revise doctrines and to just yeah, come up with definitely. other conclusions. And I totally agree with that. If only more Christians thought like that. <laughs> so my guest today has been Tom Torbins of Cross Theology. Um, if you have any questions or comments on this podcast, you can list those on our God is Open website or the God is Open Facebook companion website. So thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.